Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Christian life is a life of delight and passion and longing for Jesus. That's the heart of it. But it's a lot more than that. And as we go on through this, this, this chapter, we're going to look at today, you'll see that. Also, things come and go. I mean, we are, we are frail, normal people. And feelings come and go. Um, a sense of God's presence comes and goes. Um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll know this is true. Sometimes you have great epic moments. It's like Laurie was recommending that we remember this morning in our worship, the times when God really touched us and really met with us. But there are dry times as well. This is the reality of being a Christian. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Also, I think it is most important to understand that when God comes to us, changes our hearts, it is to change our behaviour. It's not just to leave us in a little love bubble with Jesus. So, so Jesus says in John chapter 14, If you love me, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So obedience flows out of love. And then he puts it, in a few verses later, he puts the opposite. He says, whoever it is who keeps my commandments, he it is who loves me. So these two things are totally bound up together. If you love Jesus, you will obey him. You will want to obey him, more importantly. So, I reckon we are about ready to have Sarah read this passage to us. You okay with me? Just hold this. Is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, just read the text. Okay. So read the Song of Songs, and it's um, chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, Open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. But I responded, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I have washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? My lover tried to unlatch the door, and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with the lovely murmur as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. The night watchman found me as they made their rounds. They beat and bruised me and stripped off my veil. Those watchmen on the walls. Make this promise, O women of Jerusalem. If you find my lover, tell him I am weak with love. Why is your lover better than all others, O woman of rare beauty? What makes your lover so special that we must promise this? My lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. His head is fine as gold. His wavy hair is black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves, 
beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like gardens of spices given off fragrance. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. His arms are like rounded bars of gold set with beryl. His body is like bright ivory glowing with lapis lazuli. His legs are like marble pillars in sockets of forest gold. His posture is stately, like the nervous cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Oh, such old women of Jerusalem, he is my lover, my friend. Brilliant, sir, thank you. So far now, Father, we turn our eyes to you because unless you breathe on us, Lord, we're lifeless, we're helpless. Unless you help us, help us, Lord, we're unable even to get up and open the door, Lord. So please come, Holy Spirit. Come and help me to pass on what you put into my heart, Lord, and please communicate that to the hearts of my friends today. What will you do here this morning, great God of heaven? What will you do today, Lord, that could change the destinies of individuals and families? Who knows what you will do, Lord? So come on, amen. Right, I'm going to run through these verses um, in order, but I'm going to miss quite a few of them because, um, well, I don't understand all about it anyway. <laughs> I'm going to pick up the bits I do, I do think I understand something about. I slept, but my heart was awake, a sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. That's birth two. So the first thing I want to say is Christianity is all about God's initiative. It all begins with God. It doesn't begin with you. It begins with God. And we're awake and we hear a noise. Something attracts our attention. It says a noise, a sound, something. What, what's going on? Something uh, uh, catches our attention. What's happening? And then he hears a voice. He hears a voice, and this voice says, open to me, open to me, open to me. My love, my sister, my dove, my perfect one. God is always coming, knocking on the door of our lives. Every day, every day. Job says, he visits us every morning tests us every moment. God is utterly involved in our lives and he wants to be close to us. He wants us to open up to him. This is an invitation of love. Please don't misunderstand this. Uh, this is a loving God who comes and says to me, open, open to me. My dove, my sister, my love, my perfect one. He's not scrutinising us to tell us off. He's not scrutinising us to criticise us and shut us out and tell us how bad we are. He's coming 
because he wants to invade our lives with his beauty and his goodness. Because this is the best thing for us. There's a law in life that goes like this. You sow, you reap what you sow. So everything you are doing in your life, every action you take, is reaping a harvest eventually. So if you sow bad stuff, it'll come back to you eventually. It's just one of the laws of life. If you sow good stuff, good stuff will come back to you. That is why behaviour and obedience is so important for us. It's not God just being a hard task for us to say, I want people to do what I tell them, and they'll jolly well get into line. No, he wants the best for us. He knows the best for us is loving God, obeying him, doing what he wants us to do. So he comes to us with this amazing, amazing invitation. Open to me. My first challenge to this morning is, are you going to hear this voice from God this morning? Open to me. Open to me my time. Open to me my sleep, my waking. Are you prepared to hear God saying to you, open to me your finances this morning? As you find out, as, it, as we come to the next part of this, this story about the lady, she's asleep in bed, it's the most inconvenient time for her. <laughs> that's that's the, the, the most obvious thing about her response. This is not the right time for me to get out of bed, put my clothes on again, get my feet dirty, and struggle out to open the door. It is so inconvenient. And how inconvenient it would be for God, in a time of financial stress and, and, and difficulties, to come and ask us, challenge us, to give. And that's not, he's not trying to defraud you. He's not trying to make you penniless. He wants you to open up your finances so that he can bless you. Because his word says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, shaken down, pressed together, running over, will be measured into your gap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get. So this is a beautiful opportunity to enter into the abundance of God. God is not lacking in resources. The UK is, the government is. Your bank balance may not look great at the moment, but I can assure you, God has everything you need. And when you give, when you open up your finances to God, you are merely putting out your hand and saying, I believe in a God of amazing supply and, and, and abundance. So that's the first thing. God has, he takes the initiative, he knocks, he speaks to us, he opens to us. Here's a quote about what God's looking after. God isn't after a church filled with cap-doffing slaves. He wants a radiant bride who is jubilantly confident that she has been made beautiful through the blood of her bridegroom. So how does she respond? Verse 3, I'll just read a few of these. Next few verses. Verse 3. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand 
to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. And that's where some of you are this morning. You've lost the conscious presence of God, the, the intimate delight with God. Some of you may not have ever known that, but some of you have known it, but you've lost it. These tragic words, my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. What a tragedy. What a desperate place this is. Now it all seems such a trivial thing, isn't it? The truth is that she did actually get out of bed. She did open the door. The problem was she delayed. She delayed. And delayed obedience is disobedience, folks. And God is after our attitude, our heart response. He's not just asking for us to do what he tells us. So this betrays her self-indulgence, her desire for comfort, the inconvenience of his call to us on that particular moment. And that's what I next want to say to, say to you is, the reason you lose the, the normal reason of losing the present experience of Jesus is disobedience, sin, rebellion, doing what God doesn't want, but most of all, losing your heart love for Jesus. I just want to emphasize to you that small sins matter. So in Psalms chapter 2, it talks about the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. The little foxes. Not the great big tigers, lions, the big monsters, the little failures. Because little things become big things eventually. When you put things off, eventually, eventually, you lose it. And this is actually true of the Bible, isn't it? What does, what does um, Jesus do when he speaks of, on the Sermon on the Mount, to the, to the, on his famous sermon in, in chapter 5? He, he says, you know the law, you know what the commandments are like. You shall not murder. Yeah, that's the outward thing. But now, Jesus says to you, but I tell you, don't even hate your brother. Because if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder within your heart. It's your heart that God's looking at. You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, he who looks for woman with lust has already committed adultery with her. So the whole point about the commandments, Jesus takes a different level. It's not just outward observance, it's your heart I'm after. Imagine, imagine that common event in our household. I buy a beautiful bouquet of flowers for Doreen, my wife. I present her with the, with the flowers. And she says, oh darling, it's wonderful. <laughs> why, why did you do it? Oh, I thought it was a good idea. thought I ought to. What's she going to think of that? Well, if I was her, I'd chuck him in the bin first. <laughs> well, why did you do that? Oh, well, 
Trish told me it was a good idea for marriages to husbands to buy their flowers for their wives. I just thought it was, I thought I ought to do it. Now that's just a small measure of what it's like. What I'm trying to get to you is it's your heart attitude that lies behind your obedience, which is crucial. Lots of examples in the Bible about this. Some in some of the, let me just give you one another one more example. One of the names for the horror of sin is a town in the Middle East called Sodom. Sodom, a, a town of perversion, of utter wickedness. You can read about it in Genesis if you really want to. But what did Ezekiel say about Sodom? He said, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Excess of food and prosperous ease, and they did not aid the poor and the needy. So the sin was the sin was horrible. There was lots of outward things they were doing wrong, but the root of the sin was pride, self-sufficiency. I can do it my way. I don't need you, God. So, we come on to what do you do when you lose the presence of God? And there's a, there's a parallel passage in the New Testament which mirrors this one I've read to you from Song of Songs, chapter 5. I don't know if you picked this up originally, but let me read it to you. It is the letter in Revelation to the church of Laodicea. And the problem with these people is they have abandoned their first love. So it's very much in this context of love and devotion and eagerness and desire for God. This is what the word of God comes to this church. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. See the clothing, putting on the clothes. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Very much the same sort of idea, is it? I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice, open the door. So how do you repent? How do you get back to that place of intimacy, of desire, of love for Jesus? I'm going to make a few suggestions to you. The first thing is, you change the way you think about sin. Repentance, essentially, the word means change your mind, change your way of thinking. The first thing I want to say to you is, small sins matter. Small sins, small disobedience, small resistance against God will eventually cause disaster in your life. Cut it off at its roots. Deal with the attitude. Deal with the wrong thoughts, the wrong desires, the wrong... Um, stirrings of your heart, your rebellion when you hear God speak to you, your holding him at arm's length, your refusal to open up to him. Those things are horrible things. Jesus, your beautiful Saviour, died on a cross. 
He bled for you. He suffered for you. He died for you. That you might know him as your friend. And yet you hold him off. You resist him. You refuse him. The first thing is change your thinking about sin. And then you confess. Confess your sin. Really simple. That means you speak out what you've done wrong. What you're doing wrong. Jesus, forgive me my anger. Forgive me my laziness. Forgive me my cold heart, Lord. I don't really want to be with you at all. God, have mercy on me, Lord. And then you receive his forgiveness. Because God says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because the Christianity is having a clean heart, a new heart, new desires, a soft heart that responds to a beautiful Saviour. So you receive your forgiveness. And then you do what this lady does. Because actually, it's no good keeping your eyes on you. You start looking at Jesus again. And this is what she does. I'm not going to read you the whole this. This passage, because I don't really understand what all of these images are. They're beautiful poetry in there. But she starts to tell about this, this love story to her friend. She says, they ask her, what, why are you looking for your beloved one? What is so special about him? And she starts to tell her of, of his love, of his perfections. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. She starts to extol this wonderful lover that she's longs for. And although she isn't close to him at the moment, although she doesn't feel his love, she's still going to speak out the truth, which is who Jesus is. I love that. Verse, verse, verse 12. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water. Jesus' soft, gracious eyes are full of tears. As he sees you far away from him, he's weeping. Because he loves you, he wants the best for you. And he wants, as it says in, in that passage in Revelation, it says, He who hears my voice opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's beautiful picture of intimacy of in the natural things of life, not the holy things, not singing choruses all day long, but just enjoying the presence of Jesus in everything you do. You're eating, you're drinking, you're waking, you're sleeping, you're relaxing, you're acting, you're working and everything. He looks at Christ, he sees his eyes. And then she finishes off verse 16. His mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. <laughs> I love that. Jesus is altogether desirable. It's when you, when you put all of his characteristics together, you see the most magnificent person you could ever imagine. His power, his power in creating planets and solar systems, forming mountains and valleys, and yet, his gentle touch that will not break the bruised root. The voice, the voice of God that pulls down cedars, destroys nations, pull down rulers from their places of arrogance, and then whispers 
our hearts. Come to me. Open to me, my love. The justice of God, God will not be rejected forever. Every knee will bow to him. Every rebel will bow before King Jesus. And they will receive a punishment for what they've done. And he offers every one of us mercy. How amazing. What an amazing God. I'm going to finish with this poem. I'm going to read this poem and then I'm going to pray. I'd like to rise and come away, leave wintry winds and wet behind, change sin-drenched night for hope-filled day, where blooms spring up, new fragrance find. I'd like to rise and come away, but not right now. I'd like to shake off lethargy when love's sweet hand knocks on my door, my work has drained my energy. How take up clothes laid down before? I'd like to shake off lethargy, but not right now. I'd like to come, fresh challenge take for labour in these harvest fields, where tear-drenched sacrifice will make my wide arms full with richest yields. I'd like to come, fresh challenge take, but not right now. I want your answer when I call. Wonders arise before my eyes. Please help me now or else I fall. Don't turn deaf ears to my heart cries. I need your answer when I call. I mean right now. I hope you understand the, the hypocrisy being revealed in that poem. We're, we're desperate for God to help us when we're in trouble. We want him to answer right now. We don't want delay. We don't want him to hold off from us. Now, God, I need you now. I'm in a mess. I need your help. And yet, we put him off when he speaks to us day after day after day. And I just want to come and focus in on that one sin this morning. It'll leave you with this challenge, this sin of putting things off till another day. Because that could put you in hell. There's a guy in the New Testament who kept putting, he was really upset by Paul speaking. He says, oh, I'll put you off. I'll hear you another day. And there's no ever, ever, ever evidence he heard him another day. There's no evidence that he ever turned to Christ. He had his opportunity and he put it off and it cost him his soul. And if we put off our, our Jesus' call on our lives, it's going to cost us at least our fruitfulness, if not our salvation. So I want you to just close your eyes now and respond to Jesus as best you can right now. Don't put it off. This is for now. Right now. Maybe this is your day of visitation. This is maybe the day when you open wide the doors of your heart and say, Jesus, come in. I need you. It may be the moment when you say, I'm finished with this sin. I'm finished with this. I'm today I'm gonna write a, a line in the sand that this is it. It's over. It's finished. Help me, God. 
Spirit. Come and speak your invitation to every heart here right now, Lord. Open to me. My sister, my brother, my lover, my dove, my perfect one. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Leave that stuff behind. Start to run again. Start to delight in me again. Start to lay hold of me again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit. And thank you for your great love that will not let us go. I thank you that you've made an eternal covenant with those who are called by you never to turn back from loving us. Hallelujah, Lord. What a Savior. What a God.